So there's a, a story I would like to share with you this evening about my oldest daughter, Ayla. And when Ayla was born, before there was any sleep schedule at all, Elisa and I, we sat down, we had a very clear plan of what we were going to do. We were going to have one time a day where it was very peaceful and quiet in our house, and she was going to rest, and we were going to rest, and finally the day came where she was old enough, she was on enough of a schedule, and the nap was going to come, and we put her down in the crib, and she screamed. She never got the memo that this was our quiet time. And so, Elisa, we, we picked her up, and we patted her back, and we calmed her down, and she fell asleep. We go, okay, well, it's peaceful, kind of, or we're rocking her, and we would hold her. And then that continued on for a few months until eventually she got too big, and we couldn't be holding her for an hour at a time. So we put her back in the crib. She screamed. So I came up with this ingenious solution that we had these beams in our small little house, and I took my old rock climbing equipment, and I strung some webbing around there, took my hammock out, and I put her in a hammock, and I would swing her around the room. And it worked. She slept. The problem was you couldn't be in the house when this happened. So if any guests came over, they'd have to sit on the deck for the next two hours. Every 30 minutes she'd wake up, we'd have to push the swing again. And then finally, after a few months, she asked for a song. So we oh, we can give a song. We kind of have a peaceful time. And then one song turned into two songs, into eventually 20 minutes of singing before we would be pushing her in the swing. And it dawned on us that we completely failed at our mission here. There was no peace in the house. She was up every 20 or 30 minutes. No one was allowed in the house during this nap time, and we had to rethink the entire system we had created. The reason I share this with you is because there is a teaching I want to share with you from Rabbi David Levin Kruss, who looks at the book of Bamidbar, the book of Numbers, which we're ending on this Shabbat. And he makes a statement that if you want to understand Numbers, if you really want to understand a book, one thing you can do is you get rid of everything in the middle. And all you look at is the very first line and the very, very last line. And so inside your prayer books, you have a little piece of text. I want you to pull that out. And what he, wanted, what he compares this to is that you don't only just look at numbers, but you compare it to Leviticus. So we're going to start up here on top of Leviticus, and what you have there is the first line of Leviticus, the very last line of Leviticus, first line of Numbers, and the last line of Numbers. So the first line here, and the Lord called unto Moses and spoke unto him out of the tent of meeting. Compare that to Numbers. And the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai, in the tent of meeting, on the first day of the second month, in the second year, after we came out of the land of Egypt. Incredibly similar. The final line of Leviticus. These are the commandments which the Lord commanded Moses for the children of Israel in Mount Sinai. Numbers, final line, which we're getting to this Shabbat. These are the commandments and the ordinances which the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses unto the children of Israel in the plains of Moab by the Jordan at Jericho. Now, they seem really similar. You start off in the beginning here, speaking that they both take place at the Ohel Moed, at this tent of meeting. Now, the difference is that in Leviticus and Vigra here, it talks about God speaking to Moses at this tent of meeting. When we hit Bamidbar, we get a lot more specific. 
we suddenly move to the specific date that this occurs. In Vayikra and Leviticus, at the very end, we talk about these mitzvot given at Sinai, which is not really, it's a place, but we don't know where the place is. It's the reason why people think they know where Sinai, Mount Sinai is in the Sinai Peninsula, but it's really meant to be this place you can't go back to. It's kind of a nothing place. While Bamidbar speaks about the mitzvot given at Jericho. Now what this rabbi argues is that if you look at this book of Bamidbar, it really is a commentary on Vayikra. Vayikra Leviticus, it is a closed system. It's a world with, not, with no specifics. It's the world how we would like it to be. It's very black and white. And we even finish the book saying, this happens at Sinai. While Bamidbar, with the complete opposite, it enters the real world. It gives you the date this happens, and it gets really messy in there. It's not so clean. You finally have the Israelites. They're starting to complain. You're dealing with real people with real problems. And we finish off saying, these means, they're not just at Sinai, they're also at Jericho. And you see this shift starting to occur. And these two different worlds that we're living in, one which is our black and white world where we have set in our mind that I wanted some peaceful time in my home for my daughter and for myself. And then there was the reality and the real world that she was an individual and I had to figure out how to deal with that individual. I relate to both of these worlds. The Vayikra world is a very clear world. This week when we learned about the Iran deal, it's something we as a congregation, as a community, we've been talking about for years and years and years. And I can tell you, I know what my Vayikra world would look like with this Iran deal. It's very simple. There is no nuclear material. There are zero centrifuges left in Iran. There would be no reason for Saudi Arabia or any other country to want to catch up with Iran and for a nuclear arms race to occur in the Middle East. I'm very clear on what this Vayikra world is, and I don't think many people would disagree with that, of wanting to have a nuclear-free world. But my problem is that that's a Vayikra world. That's just Leviticus. That's in my mind. I wanted that peaceful, quiet home, but then I had to deal with reality. So you have to move to the Bamidbar world. And in Bamidbar, it begins to get a little messy. It gets complicated. Where I'm actually having to make changes to fit into this current day and age. Now, in all negotiations, when you're negotiating, I'm over here, they're over there, and we're somehow trying to find this safe middle where we have a mutually desired outcome. Now, none of us know where this is gonna go. There's no way to know that, because we're sitting at the very beginning of this, we all have our Vikra mindset, now we're dealing with the real world, and there's many different ways that this could go. Earlier this week, Peter Baker, he wrote an in-depth article in the New York Times analyzing this deal and trying to figure out what moment is this? Is this really the perfect Bamibar moment? Is this the week that we actually made it so we would have a nuclear-free Iran? Maybe this is like when Nixon went to China. This is the big turning point. That maybe this is when Reagan 
dealt with the Soviets over missiles. It could be. This could be that bomb Midbar moment where both of those cases, it was a scary moment and it was an act of faith. And we know today we are in a much safer world today than we would have been if we hadn't have made those moves. But with the Bamidbar moment, we're shifting in the real world. We know where we started in our mindset of what our original goal was. And then we move to the real world and we have to make concessions. And what we're trying to figure out is when do we make too many concessions? I started with taking Ayla out of her crib. I moved to putting her in a hammock. Then I started singing songs. And at some point along the way, I had completely failed in my mission of having a peaceful household for that two hour period. But the question is, when did I go too far? Because on the other hand, we have to remember in our own Jewish history, there's been many times where we've gone way too far. You can see it in Jewish law when we lived in different countries and kept shifting our marriage laws to a point that it wasn't even Jewish marriage anymore. And after a few hundred years, we had to swing back. And even though we all hope that this might be a Bamid Bar moment with Nixon and with Reagan, there's also the possibility it could be the flip side. This could be 1994 with Bill Clinton. This could be in 94 when he made the pact with North Korea for no nuclear weapons. They now have 10 nuclear bombs. It could also be the deal we've made with Russia, where we've signed two agreements to bring peace to Ukraine. The first one's already failed, and the second one is thought to possibly fail very soon. This is the moment that we sit in as a community, that we don't know where we stand. We don't know if this Bamidbar moment really is that. Have we negotiated just enough where we actually are going to get this world safer? Where Israel's going to be safer, where Europe's going to be safer, where America's going to be safer? Or have we gone too far? That's what we're wrestling with this week in this Torah portion. And that's the challenge for all of us from this point, is that it's each of our jobs to take these next 60 days to read all of the analysis out there, because there is a lot of analysis out there, to read the actual bill, and for you to figure out, is this a Bamidbar moment? Are we actually safer? And if you think we are, you need to call your congresswoman and tell her. If you don't think we are and you think we've gone too far, it is your job as a Jew, as an American, as a world citizen, to call your congresswoman and to tell her, I think we've gone too far. That's where we stand in time right now. We don't know where we are. Bamidbar means in the wilderness. That's where we're standing. Shabbat Shalom.